0: What had happened was somebody dies every day.
1: Hey there, friends. To the end, it's me, Amelia Robinson. And boy, isn't what Angie just said the truth. Someone dies every single day, and few people know more about Dayton's dead than our friend Angie Hoshauer of Woodland Cemetery. Angie pulls together Woodland's history, mystery, murder, and mayhem tours, which are being offered as virtual experiences and self-guided tours this year due to the pandemic. Angie shares three of the newest stories from the tour as part of this podcast, and boy will the themes of them all sound familiar. There's a story of Thomas J. McFadden, a police officer from the Dayton area, killed during a bayonet shootout at a Louisville house party. Then there's a 10-year-old member of the Meade family, yeah, that family, whose death after drinking only beef tea and water caused an uproar. And finally, we're going to talk about the murderous Royal Albert Baller. Angie also explains how evidence of the Spanish flu's curve can be seen in the cemetery's records. The What It Happened Was podcast is a project of Dane.com, brought to you by Cox Next. Let them find solutions to your digital needs. Like and rate this show on Apple Podcasts your Google, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you find shows you love. Now here's my chat with Angie Hoshar. This is scary season, and obviously we have real things to be scared about with the coronavirus and all that, but obviously everybody wants to escape a little bit. One of my favorite things is to escape into history. Was that a good segue? Oh, that's
0: Awesome. Very awesome.
1: What would you guys typically be doing this time of year? Talk about spooky stories, right?
0: Right. Not so much spooky stories, but our, our famous history, mystery, murder, and mayhem, um, tour we would typically be doing them monday through thursday every week through the month of october we would be starting them around six o'clock just as it's starting to get a little dark and by the time you're done it is pitch dark in the cemetery and we guide you with a lantern well covid has changed all of that as we Thanks, have not COVID, had,
1: right no, yeah no.
0: blame the rona god i hate her Me I mean, anyway you know, we haven't had any guided tours at all this year. Uh, it's just very difficult to get a group of 20 or 25 people to walk for a tour guide to project to all of those people wearing a mask. And then when you go to look at a headstone, which may be no bigger than a piece of paper, eight and a half by 11, it's difficult for everybody to see that and to to social distance. So that was the reason why we canceled all of our guided tours. However, we do have our self-guided tours, and that is what we're really asking people to do: is to come out and take a self-guided tour. You can take the history, mystery, murder, mayhem. You can do it up until the gates close at seven o'clock. There's no lantern this year. There's no nighttime, but you can get out here and you can take it on your own.
1: There were some favorite stories that you had, right?
0: Well, right. The history, mystery, murder, mayhem. A lot of people want to hear ghost stories, but then we'll tell a couple of little things that we may know as or walking past a certain person and his or her gravestone. But the stories that we tell in History and Mystery are the victims and the perpetrators of crimes that happened in Dayton. These people were murdered horrifically, some. So, you know, sometimes there's not always uh, good stories that go with that. So we've added a couple through our virtual tour. Or we've added a couple of new stories. And then, of course, the famous ones or the ones that everybody likes to hear about is um, Christine Cat, who was the axe murderer who put an axe through her daughter's head back in 1867, which is crazy. I mean, that's 1867. That's stuff we hear nowadays.
1: Exactly. So who do you have new that's interesting?
0: Well, who do we have new that's interesting would be a gentleman by the name of Royal Albert Fowler. He went by the name That's an awesome name.
1: I know. Royal
0: Albert. Royal, Royal Albert. Well, that's probably because he was born in the time of the Victorian era with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. So that makes, you know, that makes sense there. He was in love with a young girl named Mamie Haggerty. He would buy her gifts and, you know, then they became a couple and then what happens? They begin to have little fights and arguments and quarrels, and then things turned bad. Mamie had Royal arrested three times, and she had him charged with carrying a concealed weapon back then, and then he would be sent to the workhouse, but then it was said that Mamie would come and tease him and bring him his dinner to the workhouse and tease him and tantalize him, which, you know, made him full of jealous rage. In 1906, he gets out of the, the workhouse, and he goes to Mamie. Amy and says, let's make up. And what does she say? She says, go to hell. And that just infuriates him. So he pulls a revolver out of his pocket and he shoots her. God. And like right there in the house. And she runs out of the house. And she gets outside and he shoots her two more times, this time fatally, and she runs down the street and then drops dead at the corner of 2nd and Harshman Street. So anybody over in that section of town, that's where this happened. And then after the shooting, he hops on the Dayton Covington and Piqua traction car and rides it to West Milton, where he spends the night. Well, actually, he pawns his gun for $2, gets the money, stays at a hotel there in West Milton. And then in the morning, he boards another train car to Piqua. And by this time, the morning paper is out, where it announces the death of Mamie Haggerty. And he then goes to the Piqua police, and he turns himself in. Oh,
1: wow. Uh, Yeah. So then he's... uh, It's crazy, though, that he had so much time to do all that stuff, to go pawn it. gun and then catch a train and it, right because they, it
0: wasn't like they were you know, running all the time then again news kind of was a lot slower we don't have the instant gratification <laughs> of the news cycle you know it did take some time for her body to be found and all that stuff he was put in jail He was represented by Jack Egan, who was a famous defense attorney at the time. He was sentenced eventually to the electric chair on May 29th of 1907. So justice was swift. He goes, he's sent to the prison in the state penitentiary in Columbus, and there he waits out until time for his execution. He's constantly causing trouble in the prison. He's on suicide watch because they think that he's going to kill himself, He's very despondent, and but eventually he gets another stay, and he is sent to the electric chair on November 1st of 1907. Wow. So that would be the domestic violence of the day. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's
0: truly that. what that was, the domestic violence of the day. So, um, unfortunately... Oh,
1: do you know what she would say when she went to the, you say you went to the workhouse arrest? I'm
0: sure she was teasing him and, um, you know, the other men that were in the workhouse because the families would bring them dinner They you know, they weren't given food while they were in the workhouse. I'm sure the other men were there and she was maybe teasing or flirting with other people, really making him jealous. Um, unfortunately, sometimes that's what some women do and she met her end.
1: Wow. Well, that's, yeah. you don't think about people being that violent back then, but there were still people who did bad things. So. To- each other.
0: Murder's been around since Murders. the beginning of time. Cain and Abel, from the
1: beginning. From the beginning, it's going to be here forever, unfortunately. That's right,
0: that's right, unfortunately. So it's a sad, sad, sad situation, but, but people like to hear these kind of stories, and that's what's crazy. It's like a train wreck we can't stop looking at or hearing about because we just want to know more details and more of what's going on and why people did it, you know, jealous rage, all of that stuff, and we certainly have plenty of that.
1: And I think it talks to like that human nature to you sort of mentioned before, like human nature has always been human nature. And it's like, you kind of connect to the past to understand the current situation we have too.
0: Right. All of the stories that we hear about or that you'll read about on the tour can be ripped out of today's headlines. And that's, uh, that's scary too. We've heard this story before. Jealous boyfriends, jealous husbands, jealous, you know, it's just unfortunate. Time really hasn't changed. It's just the manner of which people die. And in this story, it was a, a shooting. We have shootings almost daily in Dayton, unfortunately. So the headline really hasn't changed. It's just the characters that have changed.
1: You could be having a murder at that same spot. That oh, Yeah. Day. I'm sure you probably yeah. had other murders there.
0: So when you find out where these happen, like this one happened at 2nd and Harshman Street, that's down over by Franklin Iron and Metal, you know, kind of on the northeast side of Dayton there. It would be interesting to go down to the 2nd Harshman Street and see if you feel any... I guess she was murdered right there on the street and ran down. So it makes you wonder. A lot of people say they get vibes in cemeteries. I've had those vibes when I've been in them. But more or less, go stay In the location where they met their demise. So it would be interesting to know if any ghost hunters go out to Second and Harshman and see if they see or feel anything out there.
1: Oh, that would be interesting.
0: <laughs> I know you need to find a ghost hunter now. <laughs> I'll give them all the locations, okay?
1: You talked last time you were on about ghosts in the office. Have you had any other experiences or has it calmed down?
0: No, actually, uh, my ghost that's down the hallway from me, you know, I hadn't heard anything from her for a little while. I got another vibe, maybe about a month ago. You ghost know, mother. maybe she just needed to say hello again. And and, and it's funny because you know what? Most mornings when I walk in here, when I walk in, I open the mausoleum, you know, I turn on the light and as I'm putting the key in my door and opening my door to my office, I say, good morning, everyone let's have a great day. Maybe she didn't hear me say it for a while. Um, And then a lot of times in the evening when I'm leaving, I also say, hey, good night, everyone. See you tomorrow. It's just one of those things. I just do it and I don't feel anything. I just think that it's a good way to let them know that they're being thought about.
1: Well, that's a smart way too. You want to keep keep friendly (laughs) ghosts, not upset ghosts. (laughs) This is a rule.
0: You know, I want them to be cool with me you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) hey I'm here for you I got your back you know (laughs) we friends right (laughs) (laughs) were there any other stories from this new vault not to say vault but like vault
0: (laughs) oh this one involves like a really prominent family and it's almost scary because of what had happened so this is about Lila Mead. She is a member of the Mead family, of the Mead Paper Company family, okay? So this is a prominent family in Dayton, and this happens in 1895. So again before the turn of the century here. She's 10 years old, and she's the daughter of Colonel and and Mrs. Harry Mead. Now, Harry takes over the Mead Paper Company after his father, Daniel Mead, the founder of the Mead Paper Company. So he's second generation here. Lila, who's 10 years old, dies under the care of the Christian scientists. And this is really girl, because the girl was given no medicine to treat her ailment, only The science, from the Christian scientists. The president of the Dayton Humane Society, who not, this is interesting, the Dayton Humane Society not only took care of animals, but they also took care of people. What? Yeah, so back in the day, if there was an issue with cruelty, they would go to the Dayton Humane Society, which took care of both humans and animals. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the Dayton Humane Society was appealed to and they were urged to take action this group here in Dayton, Christian scientists were living at 1068 South Brown Street, which is like right next to the old Hickory Restaurant down on Brown Street, okay? So this is, you know, right at the end of the the cemetery road. What had happened was the Christian scientist philosophy back in the day was that the body and all of its functions and organs are entirely within control of the mind and that the illness was directly or indirectly related to your mental actions. So if you believed you were ill or, or were in pain, your body would produce that illness or that pain. And if you felt that you were 100% well, your body would react to that. So it was all in the mind. So Mr. and Mrs. Me and Lila's grandmother, Eliza Thruston-Hawk, these are very, very, very prominent citizens in Dayton. Eliza, Houck was the grandmother of Lila, and she was the acknowledged leaders of the Christian scientist movement in Dayton. And a Mr. and Mrs. Hatton, who uh, were part of the Christian scientist movement, took the child. They were called upon to the home of the Meads, they said, well, let us take her back to our house, which they did. And she was given only beef, tea, and water. That's what they treated her with. No medicine was given and she died in their care. Now, the Meads didn't feel that there was anything wrong and the Hattons were arrested, but the Meads bailed them out with a bail of $2,000 back in the day.
1: It was a lot of money.
0: That was a lot of money. Now, the article that I got this information from said that an autopsy was performed at Woodland Cemetery and that the coroner and that several doctors were there. They examined her body, but they did not open her chest or her lungs or her heart. They found no trace of typhoid fever, which would have been a disease back in the day. And uh, they stated that they found the brain to be diseased by Tubercular meningitis, which we know that meningitis is, we have a vaccine for that today, but many of the doctors believe that if you had treated that ailment of meningitis, that you can survive it, and it is survivable. Uh, Some others thought that it was incurable, but to only give the child beef broth or beef tea and water... She ends up dying, and the other two people were were let off the hook because the family didn't press charges and felt and believed in the Christian scientist movement.
1: So was there a big controversy at the time, though? Were people like... it
0: It was a huge controversy. I mean, the people of Dayton, they were furious. They were calling to press charges against the the Hattons who were the the perpetrators of the crime, even the Houks and the Meads for having let this happen to their daughter and their grandchild. You know, they were furious with them. But in the end, no charges were made of murder by the Mead family. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the, the little girl died of a very treatable illness at that time.
1: So it's just religious freedom or something that fell under probably.
0: It's true. And, you know, we have that today. I mean, we have religious groups that will not vaccine their children or will not take modern medicine or, you know, things like that. Again, all of these headlines could be ripped right out of today's paper and thing you would think that we would have learned about this by now that we would have learned our lessons, but people's beliefs are just in them and they just do not want to defer to another opinion. They, Their belief is their belief and they're going to do what they want to do regardless of the outcome.
1: But this little girl lingered. She probably lingered for a long time.
0: She had been ill for quite some time. And so basically this is why they went and asked the Hattons to take care of them to apply the science the laying on hands, the, you know, the will to tell her that she was going to be better to do all of that. She ends up dying rather quickly. They're
1: probably at Whip's in trying to find some kind of cure for their kid and like thought, this is the thing we're going to do. And then next thing you know, she's dead.
0: Right, but uh-huh. yet one of her uncle's, was a doctor, was a prominent doctor in Dayton. And so why didn't he step in? And during the autopsy, he was not allowed to be in the room, even though he was a medical doctor. He was not allowed to be in the room during the autopsy. Oh, wow. It it just sounds, I mean, doesn't it sound a little
1: shaky there? It does sound shaky. And it's like one of those things like a mystery. Yeah. One thing would have changed, his kid would have been saved. Or I wonder why they didn't let the brother in. Breaking in to remind you that you're listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast, and I'm Amelia Robinson. This show is brought to you by the Dayton Daily News. As our community and nation respond to the coronavirus threat, the Dayton Daily News is here, providing up-to-the-minute local coverage on our website and app, and going in-depth so you know what's really going on. Our news team is working around the clock to provide information you can trust, to keep your family safe and connected. As a community... We may be hunkered down in our homes, but we are still Dayton strong. We have survived so much together, and we'll get through this crisis too. The Dayton Daily News, your trusted source for local news. They just have probably resigned that this is what we're going to do and we're going to do
0: Yeah, this wow. is it. And we're not going to do anything differently. And again, that the strong belief system is really what a lot of people hold that to be sacred.
1: So I debate about the mask thing. It's like a lot of people just don't want to do masks. It's like, well, the science says this. And it's like... It's preventable. And they're even yeah. saying
0: the masks work. So why aren't we doing it? I don't know. I don't know, I should have one on today, right? We should be masks. Nah. <laughs> <on. laughs> Although nobody's gonna see us, right?
1: It's gonna see us. Well, this is a zoom call too, so we're we're fine. We're like miles. Of-
0: right, we're looking at each other going, We don't have masks on, however, right. <laughs> You're miles and miles away from me, and I'm in a box of four walls and no windows. So,
1: and dead people all around you.
0: <laughs> and dead people all around me. I'm pretty much immune to this stuff at this point.
1: Yeah, I bet. You say.
0: You got any? another? Oh, no, 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 no. I have another one. Um, we always have the old standards, but this was a new one that I found. This murder happened in 1865, so all of this was so long ago. And this one actually happened in Louisville, Kentucky, but involves a gentleman from Dayton, and he was a police officer. Thomas J. McFadden, he was shot at a local house down in Louisville. He was shot in the head, and he died instantly. And the other officer that was with him was not mortally wounded. Now, the gentleman who fired the shots was John Burdett, and he was a soldier with the army, and he was arrested for the crime with seven men and three women. Back, oh, wow. Yeah, back down in Louisville back in the 1860s. So, after it was determined he was dead, they put they um His remains were escorted to Cave Hill Cemetery, which is the very historic cemetery, not unlike Woodland down in Louisville, and was placed in the city vault until his friends who were residing here in Dayton could make arrangements to have the body brought back up to Dayton. So, of course, because this gentleman was part of the army, the major general of the army was immediately sent down to investigate. Uh, John Burdett was immediately sent to military prison, and the other... 10 folks that were arrested were given over to the military authorities. Part of the story goes that these folks were at a house, kind of like a house party, and some of the people in attendance were part of the army who had left their barracks sometime in the middle of the night, and John Burdett had gone down to gather these folks up, and then a scuffle ensued. John Burdett ends up shooting both of the police officers uh, Burdette, of course, enters a plea of not guilty. There was a night watchman who had was also in the area, who said he saw all of this happening and that the men had their guns with fixed bayonets, which is pretty much battle ready. That meant
1: yeah.
0: so um, he was shot through his ear, and he died instantly. There were so many people coming in and out of the alleyway, it was hard to say who it was that actually shot, but everybody pointed their finger to John Burdett, and so he was dishonorably discharged uh, from service. He had to forfeiture all of his pay and allowances, and he was confined to hard labor for a period of five years as his prison sentence, where he was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter. He then was designated and sent to the penitentiary in Albany, New York for his confinement. And then Thomas J. McFadden, he died on December 29th of 1865, and his body was brought back to Woodland Cemetery. And unfortunately, there's no other family members. It looks like he was placed in a lot with friends. I did a little bit of research. He's an immigrant from Ireland. He served in the Civil War himself, became a police officer down in Louisville. And he's unfortunately lying in an unmarked grave here at Woodland really? Yeah, I mean, we know exactly where he's at. We have cemetery records that show his internment and everything, but he just doesn't have an actual marker. So when you're on the app, and if you're taking this virtual tour, we have a photograph of his actual location, the plot map, so that you can see exactly where he's buried, and he's buried right next to the road in front of a big tree. So... Then it's well-marked, so you can go and um, pay your respects to that gentleman.
1: So a good spot, even though it's not a marker there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, good. it's his yeah. spot, but there's no marker there. And maybe it was because there were no other family. The uh, His friends brought the body back. Unfortunately, he should have received a Civil War marker. I don't know if the military was providing that at the time, or if he had to purchase that, or maybe just nobody ever
1: applied for it
0: applied for it at the time, so he didn't get one. But it's unfortunate that he's in an unmarked grave. But this is the way that we can remember and honor him by telling his story, even though it's a sad one. But we remember Officer Thomas J. McFadden, who died in the line of
1: duty. You guys were a big part of the pandemic, the Spanish flu, right?
0: Right. Um, we had, as a lot of cemeteries did at that time, the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, as soldiers were coming back from World War II. If they were wounded and they caught the virus, chances were that they were compromised. Their health was compromised. They died. Many young women who were pregnant with children, that they caught the flu. They died from complications of the flu and not being able to breathe, not being able to give birth. Over by our pump house, which is over along the Wyoming Street when you're, you know, over there and you can see the pump house, there's a section there that has a lot of the victims of pandemic that are buried in that section. Um, It's all along Wyoming Street, and it's down um, the hill by the by the pump house. And then again, there was a resurge in 1921, which scares us because you know it's just we're having this resurge, and then we're going to go right into 1920 uh, 2021. And there's a whole section there of just again a lot of folks who died during the pandemic. So you'll see a lot of 1918 and again, 1921, 21 burials. Uh, Uh our, Our records will indicate that many of the women were pregnant or their infants died and they're buried together in one lot. Our day books is what we call them. We list every person that is buried on a particular day. And as you go through the 1918, Leading up to the fall of when this all came about, there may have been seven or eight burials, and then it goes up to 21, 22, 23 burials, multiple days in a row, and then it kind of backs off, and then you can see it going back up again. So when they talk about that curve and you see it on TV, we can prove that by... The day burials that we had back in that time period of 1918 through 1920, and then again when another resurgence came back in 1921. It's just, it's so sad. It's so sad that, especially with this, we haven't learned our lesson with this. You can find photographs in the Dayton newspapers back in the day that, you know, they're showing people wearing a mask. Even back in 1918, they were wearing a mask and they were talking about things. They talked about social distancing. They talked about no spitting. There were signs all over the city that said no spitting, which is a it was gross anyways, but people yeah. had a lot of tobacco chew and all that, chaw, whatever you want to call it. People spit and
1: everywhere back then. They
0: were spitting and they were trying to get people to stop that spitting, to social distance, to uh, limit their movements going about the city and whatnot. Of course, they didn't have the disinfecting wipes and the Lysol sprays and all of that stuff like we do now, but it was an issue for people back then. And I just think, why can't we just stop? Or maybe they didn't know. People don't know our history, but why can't we just stop and take a look back at history and do what they did or didn't do, or what did work for them because they did get through it, and we shouldn't be with the amount of deaths and daily uh, rise in cases. We have modern medicine; we can stop this. It's just sad, sad all the way around.
1: You haven't seen the deaths this go around because really there haven't been that many people. In the county,
0: we have seen an increase. We have had COVID funerals, people who have died, so we have seen that. And of course, we have tried to limit funeral services to a no more than ten people. Um, Of course, that's based on the families. Some people observe that, other people don't uh, and you know how are we to tell people how to grieve to limit that we have not had any services in the mausoleum because of that we've not held any chapel services now we've had some families that have had the service outside the front door and then have brought in chairs for the parking lot and they've sat there and had their service and then only allow 10 people to go in when they place the uh, casket or or remains in the mausoleums. So, even though I have my door open, I have a stanchion in front of my door so that you know, people aren't just walking into my office. Uh, several times a day, I'll go out uh, with a, um, a Clorox wipe or whatever, hand sanitizer wipe, wipe down the doors. I've sprayed them. We do a, a daily cleaning, bathrooms, and the touch surfaces, the light switches, things like that, door handles, anything that people would touch we try to do that, but, um, and if we have a service, then we may uh, close the mausoleum down for like an hour to let it air out so to speak. So we're doing the best we can with what we can and trying to maintain a regular service schedule for families, you know, because we we understand it's hard, especially if they're coming from out of town or or whatnot. So it's it's just, it's hard. Everybody
1: hates this right now. So I
0: know everybody hates it, but we're also here for people, you know, now when all this hit, so to speak, the cemetery was dead. Um, Nobody was going anywhere. Nobody was coming out. Families were not pre-planning. And then as death rates started going up, we saw people coming back. Now is the time to uh, pre-plan your funeral and and your death wishes and get that all in writing because tomorrow is not given. I mean, you could get this tomorrow and be dead in a week. So you you really need to tell your family what you want. But then early on, by March and April, early April, we were telling people to come to Woodland because we were an open space. We have over 250 acres, so you can socially distance, you know, here at Woodland. And we, I now have 12 of our virtual tours up on our website so that Even though we're not giving the tours, you can take them. You can download our app and take them that way at the cemetery. But you know what's even better about it? Is that from the comfort of your couch at home, you can just log on either to your phone, uh, your laptop, your personal computer, your tablet, and just go to our website. Plug here, woodlandcemetery.org.
1: I'll put (laughs) it in the description too.
0: (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you can click on tours and you can take them at home you don't even have to come out to the cemetery so if you're afraid of all the spookiness that people tend to put on cemeteries you can do it at noon with all the lights on you just- <laughs> And not be scared uh, and be miles and miles away from the cemetery. But you can learn a lot about Dayton's history by taking these virtual and um, at home tours.
1: Well, awesome. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. It's always fun when you come on the show. It's been amazing. I
0: I love coming on and chatting with you and talking cemetery and being silly and serious, all in one conversation. And it is very serious subject matter. And believe me, I don't take light of it. I respect all of our families that we have that are here. Um, Sometimes it's sad to see it every day when we have eight, nine services a day. It does affect me. You know, I may talk about my friends out in the mausoleum and whatnot, but it is a serious matter. And I think we all just need to Take a breath, you know, lift our mask up, take a deep breath, put that mask back on and and be a part of a greater community so that we can keep everybody well and safe and make it into 2021. Kick Rona to
1: the side. Yeah, get out of here, Rona. We don't want you. We don't love you. That's right. No love. Heck no, there's no love for the Rona, but I have mad love for Angie Hoshar and the work she does to keep Dayton's history alive. Visit woodlandscemetery.org to find out more about the history, mystery, murder, and mayhem tours and how you can take one. The What Happened With podcast is written, edited, and produced by me, Amelia Robinson. The show's artwork is by my good friend, Troy Liming of T.L. Creates of Columbus. Until next time, be somewhat less murderous and stay at least six feet away from each other. Goodbye.